Welcome to the snooze button. Hey, I'm Brittany of Brittany She and Sleep. I've got 99 problems, but my kid's sleeping isn't one. Hi, friends. It's me, Brittany of Brittany She and Sleep. I'm here with a new episode. Today, we're going to be talking all about the NICU. So, backstory on why I'm doing this episode. So, a member of the Beehive recently gave birth to her baby at 34 weeks unexpectedly and was looking for some content that I'd put out on the NICU and I realized I never really have. I talk about it on my Instagram stories occasionally when it comes up in AMA or something like that, but I've never really like dug into it. And so, you know, why not? I should for her sake and everyone else who could benefit from it. Um, And if you're like WTF is the beehive, that is my client only membership program. So basically what it is, would love for you to join if you've worked with me. Anyone who has worked with me one-on-one for sleep support or has taken any of my sleep courses is eligible to join the Beehive. So the Beehive is a monthly membership. So you can either be a quarterly member. So you are billed quarterly and you know every three months you can carry on or leave us. How dare you though? Never. Or you can be an annual member, which is what the majority of my Beehive members are. And every month there is fresh new content that comes out. So we had a live event just a few days ago that was all about toddler tantrums and how we handle them. But it could be anything from helping your kid, you know, a guide or a video on helping your kid be better at sitting at the table to eat, starting solids, anything like that, food related, travel related. So, you know, deep dive sections into like packing your carry on, understanding infinite arms, like a debate about whether or not babies should be allowed in first class, all the way over to all the sleep things. So like every schedule that I give my clients, is it accessed in the beehive? Troubleshooting naps, troubleshooting early morning wake-ups. So all the sleep stuff, all the potty stuff, right? We talk a ton about potty stuff. That's a big one for the families in the beehive. And beyond the live events, there are also calls with me, all of that content. Um, But one of the coolest aspects of it has been this network, right? So we have a Slack channel where members of the Beehive are all have access to and can chat with each other. So that's how this came up, is one of the Beehive members was like, hey, any other NICU moms out there? And there actually were a couple, and it's been so cool for me to see everyone supporting each other, interacting, giving tips, advice, and just general encouragement. Um, so that's where this came from. So, okay, so let's get into it. So why would I be talking about the NICU? So beyond what I just explained, why me in particular? So for those of you who don't know, I have three kids myself. I have a two-year-old daughter, a four-year-old son, and a six-year-old son. So both my six and four-year-olds are NICU graduates. So they came to be in the NICU in completely different ways. I will very briefly explain what they are. But my oldest, Teddy, it was discovered just as I was about to turn 36 weeks that I had cholestasis, which is a relatively rare condition where basically the, the palms of your hands and the bottoms of your feet are super itchy. I googled this and it was like could be nothing could be like this kind of scary thing that can cause bad things to happen at the very end of pregnancy if you don't get induced so needless to say i booked it up to new york presbyterian they tested me and you know within a few hours were like oh yeah you have cholestasis we need to induce you like now so i remember you know i was scared but i was also excited because i was ready to meet my baby and you know, they, they were very reassuring that at 36 weeks, you know, you're measuring really big, he's going to be fine, um, he's not going to be in the NICU. So I actually went into the induction not worried about that at all. He came out six pounds, nine ounces, you know, big, big, healthy baby size-wise. Um, but pretty immediately, they handed him to me, you know, within a minute or so, the pediatrician was in there and said, something's off with his breathing. 
you know, we need to go examine him up in, in the NICU. Um, and that was the last time I got to hold him for about a day and a half. Now, the, the scariest part of this is within about two hours, I would say two or three hours after I delivered, um, well, there was actually just a lot of trauma. There was the, the first part was, you know, this is New York City. So those of you listening in New York, I don't know if it's still this case. This was six and a half years ago. Um, but there were no private rooms. So I was in a shared room and the woman who had just given birth in the room with me, you know, there was like that flimsy like sheet, you know, dividing us. Not only did she have her baby, you know, her baby was with her, mine was not. Um, she also had about 12 members of her extended family. You know, culturally, some families like everyone comes and like, that's what it is. Great for her. Not great for me when I have just had my baby yanked out of my arms, brought up to the NICU, and I am trying to figure out how to pump. There was like a nurse in there who was trying to show me, and like the door is open, there's all these people walking by, and this this literally a, a bunch of men, like this giant extended family was, was you know, on my side of, there was too many of them, they couldn't even fit on her side of the curtain. Um, I was really upset, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, my husband ended up going to the charge nurse and trying to find me a private room. A couple hours later, I got put into one. I get whisked upstairs to see Teddy for the first time since they brought him to the NICU and as I was holding them somebody came over and there was something they needed the the machines were going off something was wrong they whisked him away they told me that they thought his lung was collapsing they needed to call the cardiologist all these like flashing lights were going off they pulled me back into the wheelchair out of the room and I just remember being like a shell of a human like I had just given I had been just reassured you know, 24 hours ago that everything was going to be fine. He'd be big and, you know, and now they're telling me they need to give him a heart echo. The cardiologist is coming and they think his lung collapsed and all this stuff. And lo and behold, they come upstairs a few hours later, to be clear, it was not immediate, to tell me like, whoopsie daisy, something was wrong with our machines. He's actually fine. Now, not fine in the sense he could, he still had to be in the NICU, but there was no heart issue. Um, so thanks, New York Presbyterian. Thanks for that scare. Um, and he ended up staying there for 10 days. Um, during that time, I had a combination of nurses who were wonderful and ones who, like one I was like convinced was going to kidnap him or something. I just hate, I got like such a spidey sense. I was really upset whenever she was there. I don't know what it was about her. It felt it felt off. It felt wrong. I still to this day think something was wrong with this woman. I don't think I was just imagining it because I was, you know, had just given birth. Um, but it was honestly, it was an incredibly traumatic experience, like incredibly. Um, cut to Baker two years later. Now with Baker, they were planning to start testing me around 34 weeks for cholestasis because it does not become dangerous until 37 weeks. And that's around the time where if you don't have any symptoms, like theoretically, they would be able to tell that maybe you have it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, however, with Baker at 34 weeks to the day, I my water broke and I went into labor. Um, we were able to stop the labor when I got to Cedars um, with Alex and Teddy in tow with me, my husband and at that time two-year-old. But because my water had broken, I was put on bed rest until I was 34 weeks because at that point, the risk of infection outweighs you know, the baby's size. So I was given medication to hopefully speed up his lung and kidney development um, and was on bed rest for a week and then induced as well with him. So in Baker's case, what's interesting was the assumption was very much, this is a 34-weeker. We expect he'll be in the NICU for a while. You know, I was more prepared for it. Obviously still like very sad. I didn't want that to happen, but understood it was likely. Um, And this time, unlike with Teddy, there was effectively a team 
who was assembled when I started pushing, like when, when he actually came, um, because of how small and young he was. So in this case, interestingly, when he came out, he was tiny, just over four pounds, but he was, and I don't know if this is just luck of the draw, it's just who he was and where I was, whatever, or if it had to do with the medication they gave me, I'm sure to a degree, but he was basically perfectly healthy. Like his lungs didn't even have the same issues that Teddy's did, um, which for Teddy was just that he was, you know, his lungs hadn't had a chance to fully develop at that point for whatever reason. Um, so he was in the NICU for a week, but in his case, he was really only there because they needed to give him five or six days of antibiotics because my water had broken a week before I delivered him and you know there was a, a chance of him having been exposed to any type of bacteria and things like that. So he was on antibiotics and really just because he was so small they wanted to monitor him for a week. Um, and that was it. But by the time a week came along, like it was, you know, it, we were discharged and he was fine. So he was actually in the NICU for a shorter amount of time than his big brother who was bigger and um, older in terms of gestation. So those are my two NICU babes, and my daughter Delaney was induced, I was induced with her at 38 weeks because I started getting itchy, and you know what, when it's your third, I basically just rolled up to Cedars and was like, yo, uh, cholestasis survivor here, third kid, get her out of my body, and they were like, done, and they, they basically, they didn't even test me for cholestasis, they just induced me, and she came very quickly, she was seven pounds and eight ounces with a full head of jet black hair, which was shocking and adorable. Um, and I gotta tell you, after two NICU babies, having one in your room, it was like the most amazing thing ever. I was just so happy. So, okay, I wanna talk about, you know, if you are someone who's pregnant um, and is thinking about like, why would someone end up in the NICU? Like, what are the chances? So it's about 10 to 15% of babies right now in the US spends any amount of time in the NICU. Now, I think what's really important to understand about the NICU is it's not so black and white. Like, I think a lot of people are really nervous about a baby being born early um, in any amount. Like, they don't even want, like, a 37-weeker, um, which is, like, funny to me because I'm so des desensitized to the whole thing now. But, you know, they're really worried that if the baby is, like, anything other than completely full term, you know, they're going to be so small and they'll be in the NICU and they have all these issues. And the truth is it's so across the spectrum why babies are in the NICU and for how long and it is not some black and white thing like oh if a baby's born early like they're really going to struggle they're going to be in the NICU for a long time and if they're full term everything's going to be perfect because I have friends and um, clients and stuff who had 40-week babies who were in the NICU for various reasons and I also know plenty of people who had babies at 35 weeks who were not in the NICU at all. I really think the 34-weeker from my understanding is a pretty across the board in the US, like they at least want to observe them just because of how early they are. But like I said, in the case of Baker, like chances are if I was in a part of the country or sorry, a part of the world where rules are different, it's possible I would have just gone home with him that week. I mean, I was feeding him the whole time. He, he legitimately had no issues. It was just he's little and we want to like give him medicine to be safe, right? Whereas Teddy, I remember one nurse jokingly referring to him as the giant of the NICU because at six pounds, nine ounces, he was really big compared to a lot of the other babies there. There was a sweet little baby, I'll never forget her, tiny little body who was in the um, incubator next to him, who I believe had been born at 27 or 28 weeks. And you know, she was literally like a quarter of his size, right? So that's one thing that I think is good to know. It could have to do, you know, a baby being in the NICU could have to do with their size, right? Like whether or not they're full term or not, but for sure their gestation is a big one. It could have to do like with Baker with medication that needs to be 
given to them. It could be that the mom had preeclampsia, which is a pretty common condition where often they're given magnesium prior to labor to prevent seizures, and often they need to monitor the baby for that reason. Um, I know of moms who have had COVID, and for that reason, you know, the ba- they're monitoring the baby to see if they get COVID. Um, I think actually one of the most common ones is the lung development and breathing, which again, it could be a 36 or 37 weeker who has that, and it could be a 35 weeker who doesn't and doesn't need to go to the NICU. Um, or even just something to do with um, the Billy light, right? If, they're, if they look like they may have jaundice, I actually know of a handful of people who have gone back to the NICU um, after being discharged because of their jaundice. So lots of reasons. Point being, I think it's something to be aware of and to be prepared for if you're pregnant, but it's also not an assumption one way or another that like, you know, you wouldn't know before you deliver that you would or wouldn't need to go to the NICU. So what do you do if you're in those shoes, okay? If you have just had a baby and they are in the NICU today, first of all, I'm sorry. It's hard AF. It's really, really hard. The best thing you can do is advocate for yourself and find an ally in the hospital. I don't care who it is. I would say it's most often a nurse, a NICU nurse. Find an ally and advocate for yourself. And this means often just being there and asking questions. Ask questions constantly. Get involved with the baby. This is your baby. I think for me, and I'm projecting as I say this, but I think for me, especially with Teddy, because he was my firstborn, and let me tell you guys, like before he was born, I have always known I wanted to be a mom. I've always loved babies. Like I told my mom apparently when I was like five that I wanted to babysit myself. I was like, oh, I wish I could see myself as a, as a baby so I could babysit myself. When I was in second grade and you did like career day and everyone else wanted to be like a firefighter, I wanted to be a preschool teacher because I wanted to play with babies. Okay, this has always been who I am. And the feeling of having your firstborn finally be here, you know, I, forget even if I hadn't always wanted to be a mom. For any mom, it's like you spend months and months being pregnant, waiting to meet this child, and then having them ripped out of your arms and not being allowed to see them and not being allowed to be their mom. Like, I remember just this feeling just like, like my rights were being taken away from me, right? Like somebody else was deciding if I could feed him. Somebody else was deciding if I could change him, if I could hold him. And I, it was like a really awful feeling. So I think if you're sitting in that, I get it. I really, really get it. And get involved as much as you can. It really gave me a sense of control back and a sense of connection with my babies when they were in the NICU. And it was much easier for me with Baker because I knew what to ask. I knew what to say. I was definitely more like forceful about things. Um, but go and say like, I want to, you know, because they, they have to do their care rounds. So if you visit a NICU, you'll see that there's, there's usually one nurse who will have a couple of babies at a time. So she's basically doing rounds, right? She's going and feeding one baby and changing them and checking their vitals and weighing their diapers and doing all these things. So say, hey, I'm the mom. I'm gonna, I know how to, ch- I'm gonna change the diaper. And you know what? If you know how to do all this stuff and they're trying to give you advice, you can say, you know what? Thank you so much. I've got it. I've actually changed lots of diapers before. I remember being like so annoyed by that. And I know that oftentimes they were trying to be helpful, but it's okay to be like, you know what? I got this. I've actually, I'm actually good with the diaper changing. I'm good. I know how to hold a baby. <laughs> like, thank you so much. Um, but get involved because it is gonna give you that sense of like, this is my baby. There might be things about it about the baby situation that you can't control, but you can control things like that. So definitely getting involved. Ask them when the baby's fed, how often, ask to see their chart, ask to see what's going on. Um, And I will tell you that I caught 
a very frustrating mistake as and now that I'm you know older it's not that big of a deal whatever but I at the time with Teddy I was very emphatic that I wanted to nurse him like that had been my plan I I did and I think it was the first day and I had a lot of milk like I had you know I, I definitely started pumping right away I was I was get, I was sending down to the NICU when I was still you know when I was still in the recovery wing I was sending down a ton of milk for him and I got down when I finally got wheeled down to see him um, all the milk was still in the little fridge and I was like why is why is all the milk still here and the nurse who happened to be there who just like was clearly out to lunch and like it still makes me mad to think about was like oh we didn't know we've been giving him Enfamil and I was like why are you like I have like I you can tell the way I'm talking right now I'm still mad when I think about it but like I had been like slaving away trying to create this food for this baby and they were just giving him some random formula even though like my colostrum was right there I think it only happened once or twice it's not that big of a deal but to me at the time it was a huge deal so you're asking things like that like if you're going to be sending milk down then make sure they're actually giving it to him and ask them when they're doing it what volume he's getting if the baby has a feeding tube ask why it's in there when do they plan on taking it out what are the metrics they're looking for that's the big thing too is understanding because for each baby it's going to be different there's always going to be metrics they are looking for to say this baby can be discharged or they could maybe advance to this. You know, like once they do X, we'll take out the feeding tube. Once they do this, we won't intubate, whatever. So finding out what those things are is really important because again, you want to have a sense of like, this is my baby. I understand what's happening to them. I understand why they're doing the things they do. Do not feel bad. If someone talks down to you or is dismissive of you, find somebody else. I had a very bad experience with Teddy as well where I was tearfully telling a nurse I needed to talk to his doctor, a doctor, because they weren't releasing him and I knew he was ready to go. And instead of calling the doctor and getting a doctor to talk to me, they sent like a mental health worker to me. And I looked the woman dead in the eyes and I said, I'm not having postpartum anxiety or depression. I'm not depressed, I'm not anxious, I'm angry because no one is taking me seriously and no one will let me talk to a doctor and my baby doesn't need to be here anymore and I'm furious about it, like get out of my face. <laughs> I like I like yelled at her. Um, and that's really not my personality. I'm the kind of person that if I was allergic to shellfish and the waiter brought me shrimp, I would just eat it and like just like, you know, go into anaphylactic shock. Like that is my people pleaser mindset. And it's like your mama bear instinct just takes over and like consumes you. And I think the woman was a little bit scared of me, but guess what happened the next morning? The doctor was there and I got in his face is one word for it and asked to be explained exactly why they wouldn't take out the feeding tube so I could try to nurse him because they were claiming that I wouldn't be able to feed him when he got home because he wasn't taking in enough food when I nursed him. To which I said, how is he going to take in enough food for me nursing him if you have a feeding tube in his nose constantly and you're perpetually feeding him around the clock? He's not hungry enough for me to actually effectively nurse him and you're not giving me the space to do it. It's also hard for him to nurse with something in his nose. And they just kind of looked at each other like, oh, wow, she's not actually as big of an idiot as we thought. They took out the feeding tube. tube excuse me. Lo and behold, guess who's discharged less than 12 hours later? Yeah. So advocate for yourself. You don't have to be, this was my firstborn. I didn't know anything before that week about you know the volume of milk a newborn should take or nursing or latching like I was learning on, on the fly too but it was my baby and it is okay to ask questions and fight for what you want always um, question things if they don't make sense to you I tell clients this all the time 
It could be me, it could be any other expert. If somebody tells you to do something or that something is a certain way and you don't understand why, it is okay to say, that doesn't make sense. Can you please explain why this would mean X, Y, Z, right? Um, and also know the rules and protocol of the NICU because it is different hospital to hospital, city to city. Um, I've had friends who've had babies in the NICU where they actually had a space where the parents could stay overnight with the babies. I was not lucky enough to be in that situation with either of my babies, but I was in the case of both of them able to stay an extra night just because I pushed for it. Because that I, in both cases, I lived really far away from the NICU and I was like, if there is space, I would really like another night to be here because once I leave, it's gonna be very hard for me. I was commuting from the West Village in New York all the way up to the Bronx, which is really long in a cab because um, I certainly wasn't taking the subway three days postpartum um, with Teddy and then with Baker, I was going to Beverly Hills, which again, depending on traffic, could be 45 minutes or an hour. So you know, knowing the rules and the protocol, it can be really hard to talk to a doctor. That's the frustrating thing. It's not like there's somebody updating you on what's going on. It's like you're going and visiting and like hoping you can catch someone who can give you a status update. Um, and it's not, you don't typically have like an assigned nurse who's always with your baby. So that part is hard too, because you might start to develop a bond with one nurse on a day or two. And then someone totally new is there the next day who doesn't know you you have to reintroduce yourself all over again they don't have a connection with your baby that piece is really hard um, if there are ways for you to request nurses i would definitely do that right if there's somebody that you are connecting with that makes you feel comfortable and safe absolutely do that um, and finding out what the policies are are there policies for how often you as a parent can be there, hopefully not, but if there are, understanding that. Um, if you have other family members who want to come visit the baby, can they? Can you, uh, most NICUs would not allow children, um, but maybe they have a sibling, they, they do. Maybe there's an, uh, an area the baby can be taken where they can meet a sibling, et cetera. Like understanding those things. Um, one of the best gifts I was given in the early days of Teddy's NICU experience, I will never forget him, his name was Nuriel. Nuriel was a male nurse in the NICU at uh, New York Presbyterian. I believe it was the second night, first or second night that I had gone home. And I was just like devastated. I remember being in the apartment with Alex and like I had no access to see him. And the next morning I came in and Nuriel, I went really early and Nuriel was still there. And he told me, you can call me anytime. He gave me the number. There was like different pods in the NICU. And he gave me the pod phone number and said, you can call me anytime tonight. I'm going to be on again, you know, tonight, the next shift, and I will let you know exactly what he's doing. I will let you know what his blood oxygen levels are, like his saturation, whatever the things were. Um, it's funny that I can't even remember the metrics that I was at one point in my life so obsessed with. Um, and I would sit and I would pump. And every time I got up to pump, which was every three hours, I was listening to a Teddy Roosevelt podcast about his life and his accomplishments, which I had selected to make me feel close to my Teddy, who was in the NICU, and I would call Nuriel, and he would give me an update, and he would tell me he's safe, he misses you, he's doing great, here's how, what, you know, we'll see how he's doing in the morning, and it made me feel so much better, just to have, like, a friendly voice on the other side of the line to tell me how my baby was going, because I couldn't, how he was doing, because I couldn't be there the whole time, right? So I think understanding, though, like, can you check in? I, I know there's some hospitals that will let you FaceTime in with the baby as well, um, I know that all nurses are not created equal. I have the mix of that nurse as well as one who, when we were in New York with Teddy, she was actually from Manhattan Beach. And when I got her number, because we loved her so much, her name was Lauren, and when we moved here, 
reconnected with her and actually like sent her pictures of Teddy. So Teddy was a NICU nurse when he was two on Halloween. That's what he wanted to be because we talked so much about her and I sent her the picture and I was like, this is the little boy that you took such good care of. She's really the one who urged me to push with the doctors about getting his feeding tube out. Um, so finding those people is gonna be amazing and you're gonna have shitty ones too. I had this one nurse with Baker. I remember I brought down milk for him on the second day and I still remember she was like, whoa, a lot less than yesterday, like what happened? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean what happened? I had my cholesterol and now I'm waiting for my milk to come out. I don't have as much milk today because it's the second day. Like at that point it was my second born. I knew that was normal. But like, what a shitty thing to say to a mom whose baby's in the NICU. Like, oh, it looks like you're not making enough milk for your baby. Like, I'm sure that's not what she meant, but it was an awful feeling from, you know, when you're in a, a physical and mental state that's already not uh, your best. So know that and it's okay to go to a charge nurse or to somebody else and say, I'm, I'm not having a good experience. I'd like to talk to someone else or have someone else involved because sometimes they, they do overstep their bounds a little bit, especially if you know what you're doing and you know what you want. Um, it can be really hard. So beyond that, other things I would suggest in the NICU, enlist helpers and accept help. So say to your mom or your mother-in-law, like, I really wanna be with him or her all day, but like, I have to go home and sleep. Can you sit with him? for an hour. Can you go, can you call the NICU and see what the visiting hours are? Can you go and feed him for me? Whatever, right? Whatever the things are that you need, get people to help you because they want to help you and accept the help that you're given. If somebody says, if you have an older child and you have a newborn in the NICU and somebody says, hey, can I come over and play with your toddler um, so you can go, say yes, assuming you want, you want to go. You know, say yes, like let people help you out. And I think having, at least for me as a very type A person, having like a plan and a system was really helpful. So in both cases, because the NICU happened to be really far away from where I lived, I really did have a system where I was getting up at a certain time and I would immediately, I would eat like a big hearty breakfast and then I would go, I would bring all my pump pieces, I would bring a book, um, I would bring some snacks, like whatever I needed, and I would go to the NICU and I would really try to schedule it so I could be there like I knew what the feeding schedule was because they do in the NICU, they feed them every three hours. So I would know what time I needed to be there so I could do the feed. So whether the baby was in a place where I was able to nurse them or like it had to be a bottle for whatever reason, I was able to go and be the one to do it, right? Like I had, I was creating that structure for myself to feel involved, to feel needed, to feel like it was my baby and I had this like sense of control. Um, and in both cases, I very quickly found somewhere that I could go to take a break and eat and just get out of the NICU because it is, you know, in my case when I was far away, like you want to be there as much as you can, but there's nothing to do besides sit there with the baby, which is all you want to do. But after like eight hours of that, it's not like you can go lay with them on the couch and snuggle and watch TV or go cook something while they're in the baby carrier, right? It's like you're just sitting and you're listening to this incessant beeping sound and these bright lights and there's always, you know, five nurses running around and there's some codes going off and there might be another family who's there with their baby as well. It's just a lot of sound and stimulation. Um, so in both cases, in the case with Teddy, I was in the Bronx. So there was like one weird steakhouse. I wish I remember the name of it, but I would go to this like weird steakhouse that it was just like me, off-duty doctors and like firefighters in there. And I would sit at the bar and I would read my book and I would order a steak. And with Baker, a little bit nicer because I was at Cedar sinai here in LA, in Beverly Hills, and there was, oh my God, what is the name of it? It's this like fried chicken place. 
but it's really good. It's like a fried chicken, but it's like a, a nice restaurant. Um, and I, same thing. I brought a book. I would go sit at the bar. Um, I would get a cocktail. At that point, I was like, I'm getting a cocktail. It was my second. And I would enjoy myself for like an hour and a half. And then I would go for like the afternoon round. I would try to get two more feeds in, um, lots of snuggles, holding him as much as I possibly could. And then I would go home for the night. So having that like structure each day made me, again, feel connected and grounded and like I was with my babies. Um, And I will say too, if you want to nurse your baby and they're in the NICU, do not let that fact stop you. I know because I I see clients with it all the time. And of course, I never press them on it and say like, did you try? Because some people don't want to nurse and that's their choice. Um, But if it's something that you want to do, know that they're already on like an every three hour eating schedule when they're in the NICU. And you can maintain that when you leave. And hey, that's a silver lining right there. But make sure that you are pumping on an every three hour schedule. And don't just decide, again, this is if you want to nurse them. Don't just decide like, I'll take advantage of the fact that they're not here and sleep all night. Because in those early weeks, like that is how your supply is established. And a baby does need to be eating throughout the night. So if you are not uh, pumping throughout the night, you you're, you will not have a supply established enough to continue that at home if you want to exclusively nurse or exclusively pump, um, unless you do it from the get-go. Or it's possible, but it would be really hard. So that was something I was very focused on. And don't get me wrong, when I came home with both of them, I was triple feeding in the first week or two. And it's hard. It is hard to triple feed. That basically meant that I was oftentimes pumping. I was nursing first. I was nursing. They were little. Their latch wasn't amazing yet, so I was also pumping, and then I was bottle feeding them, right? So the feeds were taking forever. Um, But to me, it was worth it because I knew I had a good supply. I wanted to nurse. It felt easier to me personally to nurse than to have to deal with formula and all that stuff. That was my personal choice. And you know what? It worked. worked. I nursed all three of my kids for a year, um, and it was fine. So please don't feel like because if you want to nurse because your baby's in the NICU, like they won't be able to latch or whatever. Like you just have to press to allow that to happen um, and not to let you know a nurse or whoever make you feel like it's not an option because it very much is. Um, so the one silver lining I will say, and if you're in the thick of it, this is not what you want to hear, but I'm going to say it anyway because maybe it will resonate with somebody. The silver lining of this is if your baby has anything going on that was requiring the NICU, they are in the best possible hands for the most part, right? Like you don't want to bring home a baby too early if they're having lung issues and have to like race them to the hospital two days later. That was the one thing I tried to remind myself is like I'd rather him stay here for another day than to take him home and have him like turn blue and have to like race down to Tribeca Peds at 4 a.m. Like that is not what I want to happen. So that's the one silver, I don't mean it's silver line, but one thing to keep in mind The silver lining, I will say, is it's true. I mean, most people go home with their babies after two days and like you are a shell, you've just given birth and you're like, hello, take care of this human being, keep it alive, um, feed it around the clock. And it's really hard. And I mean, I, especially with Baker, when it was my second, I was suddenly very aware of that. I was like, most moms with a four day old are not sitting at a bar having like a yummy cocktail and some fried chicken and reading a book for two hours. I should like... I don't want him to be in the NICU. I want him to get out ASAP. But I try to remind myself in those moments, like, even though I was setting an alarm to pump every three hours, I was getting a lot more sleep than probably the typical parent, um, you know, was in the first week of life. So I tried to remind myself of those things. And I think 
guys, at a high level, let's talk about the trauma. You're going to have some. I'm sorry. I think anyone whose baby's in the NICU is going to have some type of PTSD trauma. I think there's something very primal, um, not in a good way, that goes along with having like your baby effectively taken from you um, in like the minutes or hours after they are born. And I think it's okay to lean into that and to understand it. Um, and I have a lot of empathy for clients who come to me who have had any type of traumatic backstory to their baby's birth. And sometimes it is a really bad loss before that baby was conceived or the pregnancy was extremely difficult um, or something like the NICU, right? Where there was a loss of control, there was sadness, there was disconnection. Um, and it's okay to feel those things. And I think it's okay too to handle it the way you want to handle it because I look back and I think of how I was as a mom with Teddy in the first few months of life and I definitely was um I don't know if like I I don't I actually would not say I was overprotective at all I mean I took him out I was like happy to leave the house and like take him out and I was in heaven with him I mean absolute heaven I really think that was the happiest time of my entire life I've had so many times in my life that I look back and I'm like wow I was really happy then but I don't think anything compares to those weeks and months after Teddy was born when he came home come bring him home from the NICU. Um, but I definitely was really not interested in anyone's opinion, anyone's help, anyone to take care of him. Like I was like, I got this. I brought, I did not ever leave him with an actual babysitter, like someone who wasn't uh, truly only my mom, my mother-in-law and my, I think it was my sister-in-law. And then one time it was Alex's cousin. Anyone who wasn't like my actual like fam- true like blood family until he was 15 or 16 months old, which is crazy compared to like thinking about how I, I was with Delaney, right? Like Delaney, I probably left her with a babysitter when she was, I don't know, much younger than that. I don't know what the time was, but much younger than that. Um, and that's okay. Like I look back on that. I'm not like, wow, Brittany, you never let him like that he was a really easy baby. He was like my best little little friend. I loved being with him. I don't regret it for a second. And that's how I try to go through life in general is like, we can only know what we know in the moment. We only do the best with the information that we have and the set of circumstances that we have. So just let yourself feel what you feel and manage it the way you manage it. And obviously if it starts to feel unhealthy to you, like you're feeling really bad intrusive thoughts, you're terrified to leave the house, things like that, of course, like absolutely seek medical care. But please don't feel badly about your experience feeling different than other people's or even how maybe an experience with one child was compared to another because that's personal to all of us and it's all okay. As long as you are taking care of yourself and you are safe and your baby is safe, it's okay. Um, And I would just like to say lastly that it does not matter if you didn't get to hold them for the first week for the first day, if they were in the NICU for two days or two months, I'm telling you right now, not only through my own experience with two different kids, but having friends, I have more than one friend who gave birth at 27 or 28 weeks who literally couldn't even see their baby for a bit. Um, certainly no kangaroo care, certainly no you know, skin to skin. Um, there is zero impact on your bond and your relationship with that baby. Please know that. I understand kangaroo, I understand your, and we want it so badly to, to hold them and to be with them in those moments. And there is this like grief that goes along with not having the experience that you planned and that you wanted. But I'm telling you all, if any of you, anyone is listening to this who's going through it right now, 
the minute you get that baby into the car seat and take them home and look at them and suddenly there's no one telling you what to do and how to live and how to be a mom or a dad, you're going to be the happiest parent in the world and you will see that bond immediately with them and it will be completely irrelevant how long they were in the NICU and what what that experience was for you yes but for your baby no they are not going to remember it I'm telling you of uh of all of my kids Baker actually is my like snuggliest one my little 34 weeker even at four years every single day when I get home from work he runs and jumps into my arms every morning when I get him up in the morning he jumps into my arms and hugs me tightly he asked, he said, I want to hold you, mama, all the time he says that. Please know that. That's the little guy that I couldn't hold at the beginning. Um, so very last thing I will say, wow, this is a long episode. I usually, my solos are not usually this long. I'm really rambling today. Um, for those of you who know someone who is in the NICU right now, here's my suggestion for you. Give your brother, sister, friend aunt, coworker, whoever this person is that you love who's going through this NICU experience. Offer them help, but give them concrete options to pick from. Do not say, how can I help? Are you doing okay? Say, hey, I'm going to help you out today or tomorrow. I can either go to your house, clean out the fridge, whip something up in the kitchen, clean it up and leave it for you in there. Or I can go, you know, walk your dog and go, I can take your toddler for the day. Or I can drop off a big goodie bag full of snacks for you at the NICU, some drinks, etc. Or I am happy if you need a break from the NICU, let me go. I can sit with him or her. I had a friend who sat and read a book to Teddy, and I will never forget it. When I had a, a day where I, I had to leave, I'd been there too long, and I needed to go home. She went for me and sat with my baby and read him a book. And... I mean, I will never forget it. How much just that just that one you know hour that she was there when I couldn't be there meant to me. Something like that. Or if you are feeling spineless and grief-stricken and it's hard for you, or for your friend, I'll, I'm sorry, your family member, say, I know you're having trouble getting them to explain the feeding tube thing. Let me, let me call. Let me pick up the phone. I will call and find out what's going on. I will go up to, where is the doctor? I will go ask the charge nurse to bring him down. I will ask the questions. I had a friend who did that too. She was like, she was like questioning one of the nurses pretty aggressively, and I loved it. Um, that's what you need to do. Come up with a couple of options. Let them pick something because they are overwhelmed, and they don't have the, the energy and the strength to come up with creative ways for you to help. Okay. I hope this was helpful for some of you. And again, for anyone who's in the NICU experience right now, I see you. I feel you. It's going to get better, and it's going to get better really soon. And you know what? You're going to you're going to kind of forget about how bad it was. That's the other thing that I remember thinking is once we were out of there with both kids, it was like I never looked back. I don't think about it often. It's really now that I'm having, you know, I'm, I'm doing this episode. It's all flooding back to me, but I do not think about it regularly. And I didn't even in the weeks after they were born. And that's going to be your experience too. Okay, I love you guys. New episode coming next week. I will see you then. Loving the snooze button? Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please leave a review. I will read it and internalize it, so make sure it's very glowing. If you're interested in working with me or learning more about my courses, head to brittanysheehan.com or follow me on Instagram at Sleep.